All right, welcome back to part number two of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's me, Mark, from English on Command, and today we're going to continue with our book. Now, first, let's do a quick recap of the first part. Now, we are reading about the book. It's called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, uh, that's all we know for now. Uh, also, we are learning about a person, Arthur Dan. He lives in a house which is about to be destroyed because local council somewhere in some city in Great Britain uh, wants to destroy his house to build a bypass, a road instead. So that's what we know for now. And uh, also we learned about another person, his friend, Arthur Dunn's uh, friend, Ford Prefect, who is not a human. He's from another planet, but he is pretending to be a human. So that's all we know for now. Okay? All right, the scene. Arthur Dent is uh, in front of his house, in front of the bulldozers, trying to stop the knockdown. And Ford Prefect, well, let's go. Part two. In fact, what he was really looking out for when he stared directly into the night sky was any kind of flying saucer at all. A flying saucer. What's a saucer? It's a plate which you put under your coffee cup. It's a small plate. A flying saucer. That's what we usually say, right? The animals fly on. The reason he said green was that green was the traditional space livery of the Battle Goose Trading Scout. And Battle Goose is a planet where our uh, Ford Prefect guy came from. Okay, moving on. Ford Prefect was desperate that any flying saucer at all would arrive soon because 15 years was a long time to get stranded anywhere, particularly somewhere as mind-bogglingly dull as the Earth. Ford wished that a flying saucer would arrive soon because he knew how to flag flying saucers down and get lift from them. He knew how to see the marvels of the universe for less than 30 Altarian dollars a day. In fact, Ford Prefect was a roving researcher for that uh, wholly remarkable book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Human beings are great adapters, and by lunchtime, life in the environs, well, at the environment of Arthur's dad's house, had settled into a steady routine. It was Arthur's accepted role to lie squelching in the mud, making occasional demands to his lawyer, his mother, or a good book. It was Mr. Prosser's accepted role to tackle Arthur with the occasional new ploy, such as the For the Public Good talk, or the March of Progress talk, the They Knocked Down My House Down Once, you know. Um, never looked back talk and various other cajoleries uh, and threats. It was the bulldozer driver's accepted role to sit around drinking coffee and experimenting with union regulation to see how they could turn the situation to their financial advantage. The earth moves slowly in its um, the urinal cars. The sun was beginning to dry out the mud Arthur lay in. A shadow moved across him again. Hello, Arthur, said the shadow. Arthur looked up and squinting into the sun, squinting. Well, I guess you know what you do to your eyes when you look at the sun, oh, squinting, close your eyes. Squinting the sun was startled. Wow, to see four prefects standing above him. Ford, hi, how are you? Fine, said Ford. Look, are you busy? Am I busy? <laughs> exclaimed Arthur. Well, I've just got all these bulldozers and, thing to, and things to lie in front of it uh, because they will knock my house down if I don't. But other than that, well, uh, no, no, not especially. Why? They don't have sarcasm, battle goose, and Fall Prefect often failed to notice it unless he was concentrating. He said, Good. 
Is there anywhere we can talk? What? said Arthur Dent. For a few seconds, Ford seemed to ignore him and stared fixedly into the sky like a rabbit trying to get run over by a car. Then, suddenly, he squatted down beside Arthur. We've got to talk, he said urgently. Fine, said Arthur. Talk and drink, said Ford. It's vitally important that we talk and drink. Now, we'll go to the pub in the village. He looked into the sky again, uh, nervous, expectant. Look, don't you understand, shouted Arthur. He pointed at Prosser. The man wants to knock my house down. Ford glanced at him, puzzled. Well, he can do it while you are away, can he? He said. But I won't, don't want him to. Oh, <laughs> look, what's the matter with you, Ford? said Arthur. Nothing, nothing is the matter. Listen to it. I gotta tell you the most important thing you've ever heard. I gotta tell you now. I've got to tell you in the saloon bar of the horse and groom. But why? Because you're going to need a very stiff drink. Stiff, hard, tough. Okay? Drink. Ford stared at Arthur and Arthur was astonished to find that his will was beginning to weaken. He didn't realize that he was because of an old drinking game that Ford learned to play in the hyperspace ports that served uh, the uh, Madronite mining belts in the star system of Orion B. The game was not unlike the Earth game called Indian Wrestling and was played like this. Two contestants would sit e either side of the table with a glass in front of each, other, e e each one of them. Between them would be placed a bottle of uh, Jan Spirit as immortalized in that uh, ancient Aryan mining song. Oh, don't give me none more of the old John spirit. No, don't you give me none more of the old John spirit. For my head will fly, my tongue will lie, my eyes will fry, I might die. Won't you pour me one more of that sinful old John spirit? Each of the two contestants would then concentrate their will, their willpower, their determination on the bottle and attempt to tip it and pour a spirit in the glass of his opponent, who would then have to drink it. The bottle would then be refilled, the game would be played again, and again, and then again. Once you started to lose, you would probably keep losing, because one of the efforts of John Spirit is to depress the psychic power. As soon as a predetermined quantity had been consumed, the final loser would have to perform a forfeit, which was usually obscenely biological. For perfect, usually played to lose. Four stars, four stared, looked at Arthur, who began to think that perhaps they didn't want to go to the horse and groom after all. But what about my house? He asked uh, plaintively. Four looked across to Mr. Prost and suddenly uh, a wicked thought struck him. He wants to knock your house down. Yeah, he wants to build. And he can't because you are lying in front of the bulldozers. Yes, and I'm sure we can come to some arrangement, said Ford. Excuse me, shouted Mr. Prosser, who was arguing with the spokesman for the bulldozer drivers about whether or not Arthur Dent constituted a mental health hazard, how much they should get paid if he did, looked around. He was surprised and slightly alarmed to find that Arthur had company. Uh, yes, hello, he called. Has Mr. Dan come to his senses yet? Uh, can we for the moment call Ford? Uh, assume that he hasn't. 
Well, sighed Mr. Proster. And can we also assume that for that he's going to be staying here all day? So, so all your men are going to be standing around all day doing nothing. Uh, could be, could be. Well, if you're resigned to doing that anyway, you don't actually need him to lie here all the time, do you? What? You don't, said Ford patiently. Actually need him here. Mr. Prozor thought about this. Well, no, not as such. He said not exactly need. Prozor was worried. <laughs> he thought that one of them wasn't making other sense. Ford said, so if you would just like to... Take it as read that he's actually here, that he and I could sleep off down the pub for half an hour. How does that sound? Mr. Prosser thought it sounded perfectly potty. Well, that sounds perfectly reasonable, he said in a reassuring tone of voice, wondering he was uh, trying to reassure. And if you want to pop off for a quick uh, one yourself later on, he said for it, we can always cover up for you in return. Thank you very much, said Mr. Prosser, who no longer knew how to play this at all. Thank you very much, yes, that's very kind. Uh, he frowned, then smiled, then tried to do both at once, failed, grabbed hold of his forehead and rolled it fitfully around the top of his head. He can only assume that uh, he had just won. So, continued for perfect, if you would just uh, like to come over here and lie down, what, Mr. Prosser? Oh, I'm sorry, said for perhaps I hadn't made myself feel clear. Somebody got to lie in front of the builders, haven't they? Uh, or there won't be anything to stop them driving to Mr. Dan's house, will there? Oh, said Mr. Bruce again. It's very simple, said Ford. Uh, my client, Mr. Dan, says that he will stop lying here in the mud on the sole condition that you come and take over for him. What are you talking about, said Arthur? But Ford nudged him with his shoe to, to be quiet. You want me, said Mr. Prosser, spelling out his new thought to himself, to come and lie there in the mud? Yes. In front of the bulldozer? Yeah. Instead of Mr. Dent, yes, in the mud, in, uh, as you say it, in the mud. As soon as Mr. Prosser realized that he was substantially the loser after all, <laughs> as if he weight lit itself his shoulders, this was more like the world as he knew it, uh, he sighed. <sighs> and in turn for which you will take Mr. Dent with you down the pub. That's it, said Ford, that's exactly it. Mr. Prosser took a few nervous steps forward and stopped. Uh, promise? Promise, said Ford. He turned to Arthur. Come on, he said to him, get up and let the men lie down. Arthur stood up, feeling as if he was in a dream. Ford beckoned to Prosser, who sadly awkwardly sat down in the mud. He felt that his whole life was some kind of dream, and he sometimes wondered who it was, whether they were enjoying it. The mouth folded itself round the bottom and his arms and oozed into his shoes. Ooh, is a good word, guys, let's remember. Uh, take a lemon, squeeze it, and it will be oozing. Uh, the uh, insides out will be oozing, right? Like Minmar here, oozing into his shoes. Moving on. Ford looked at him severely. And uh, no sneaky knocking down Mr. Dent's house whilst he's away. All right, he said. Ah, the mere thought. Uh, Mr. Prosser hadn't even begun to speculate. He continued selling himself back. About the merest possibility of crossing my mind. He saw that bulldozer driver's union representative approaching and let his head sink back and close his eyes. He was trying to marshal his arguments for proving that he did not now constitute a man of housing himself. It's far from certain about this. His mind seemed to be full of noise, horses, smoke, and a stench of blood. This was always happened to, uh, to him when he felt miserable and uh, put upon. 
and he had never been able to explain it to himself in how dimension of which we know nothing uh, the Mahdi can be load uh, with rage. But Mr. Prosser only trembled slightly and whimpered. He began to feel little pricks of water behind the eyelids. Bureaucratic cook-ups and grey men lie in the mud, uh, indecipherable strangers uh, handing out inexplicable humiliations and an what is it? Huh. unindified army of horsemen laughing at him in his head. Oh, what a day. Oh, what a day. For Prefect knew that it didn't matter a pair of Dingo's kidneys whether Arthur's house got knocked down or not. Arthur remained very worried. But can we trust him, he said. Myself, I'll trust him to the end of the earth, said Ford. Oh, yes, said Arthur. And how far is that? About 12 minutes away, said Ford. Uh, come on, I need a drink. And this is the end of chapter 1. Now, if you didn't get it, a quick recap for you. Uh, Mr. Dent went out of his house, so a bulldozer, uh, a few bulldozers, they were about to knock his house down because it was in the plans of a house committee to well, knock it down and build a bypass. And uh, he didn't want them to do that, so. Uh, his friend, Fall Prefect, who is an alien on the planet, he's not a real person, he came there and took Mr. Dent to the pub. But why? Because he said the world is about to be destroyed in the 12 minutes, so it's the end of the world. It's coming in 12 minutes. Moving on, chapter number 2. Here's what the Encyclopedia Galactica has to say about alcohol. It says that alcohol is a colorless, volatile liquid formed by the fermentation of sugars and also notes its intoxicating effects on certain carbon-based life forms, like people. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy also mentions alcohol. It says that the best drink in existence is the Pangalactic Gargle Blaster. It says that the effect of a Pangalactic Gargle Blaster is like having your brain smashed out by a slice of lemon wrapped around a large gold brick. The guide also tells you on which planets the best Pangalactic Gargle Blasters are mixed, how much you can expect to pay for one and what uh, volunteer organizations exist to help you rehabilitate afterwards. The guide even tells you how you can mix one yourself. Take the juice from one bottle of that old giant spirit, it says, pour it into one measure of water from the seas of Centrogenous 5, of that Centrogenous Sea of Water, it says, uh, all of those Centrogenous fish, so taking it either. Allow three cubes of Arcturan Megagene to melt into the mixture. It must be properly iced, or the benzene is lost. Um, allow 4 liters of Felian Marsh gas to bubble through it, in memory of all those happy hikers who have died of pleasure in the marsh of Felia. Uh, over the back of a silver spoon float a measure of qualidine hypermine extract, uh, redolent of all the ready adores odors of the dark qualidine zones. Subtle, sweet and mystic. Drop in the tooth of an Algolian Sintager, uh, watch it dissolve, spreading the fires of the Algolian suns deep into the heart of the drink. Sprinkle them for, add an olive. Drink, but very carefully. The Shire's Guide to the Galaxy sells rather uh, better than the Encyclopedia Galactica. That's what we need to know. Six pieces of bitter set forward perfect. 
to the barman of the horse and groom and quickly placed the world's is about to end. The barman of horse and groom didn't deserve this sort of treatment. He was a dignified old man. He pushed his glasses up his nose and blocked the four prefect. Ford ignored him and stared out of the window, so the barman looked instead at Arthur, who shrugged helplessly and said nothing. So the barman said, oh yes sir, nice weather for it, and started pulling pins. He tried again. Going to watch the match this afternoon then? Ford glanced around at him. No, no point, he said, and looked back out the window. Well said, foregone uh, conclusion that you reckon, sir, said the barman, uh, Arsenal without a chance? No, no, said Ford, it's just that the world uh, is about to end. Oh, yes, sir, so you said, said the barman, looking over his glasses, this time Arthur, uh, like his key for Arsenal if it did. <laughs> Ford looked back at him, genuinely surprised. No, not really, he said, he frowned. The barman breathed in heavily. There you are, sir, sixpence, he said. Arthur smiled at him warmly and shrugged again. Ooh. He turned and smiled only at the rest of the pub, just in case any of them had heard what was going on. None of them had, and none of them could understand what he was smiling at them for. A man sitting next to Ford at the bar. Look at the two men. Look at the six pins. Did a swift burst of mental arithmetic, arrived and announced he liked and grinned as Chubby helpless gave them. Get off, said Ford. Hey, they're ours giving him a look that would have an Algolian integer get on with what he was doing. Now guys, a quick pause. I'm sorry for the slowdown of these names. I have no idea what these names mean. It's a book, first time reading, just like you are. So, sorry for that. Well, come back, moving on. Ford stabbed a five pound note in the bar. He said, uh, keep the change. What, from a fiver? <laughs> Thank you, sir. You've got 10 minutes left to spend it. The barman simply decided to walk away for a bit. Ford, said Arthur, would you please tell me what the hell is going on? Drink up, drink up, said Ford. You got three pins to get through. Three pins, said Arthur, at lunchtime. The man next to Ford grinned and nodded happily. Ford ignored him and he said, time is an illusion. Lunchtime, doubt it so. Very deep, said Arthur. You should turn that uh, into the Reader's Digest. They've got uh, a page for people like you. Drink up! Why well, three pins all of a sudden? Uh, muscle relaxant, you'll need it. Muscle what? Relaxant? Yeah, muscle relaxant. Arthur stared into his beer. Did I do anything wrong today, he said, or has the world always been like this, or I've been too wrapped up in myself to notice? All right, said Ford. I'll try to explain. How long have we known each other? How long? Arthur thought. Uh, about five years, maybe six, he said. Uh, most of it seemed to make some sense at the time. All right, said Ford. Now, how would you react if I said that I'm not from Guilford, after all, but from a small planet somewhere in the vicinity of Battle Goose? Arthur shrugged and, uh, in a so-so sort of way, I don't know, he said, taking a pool of beer. Why? Do you think is there a sort of thing you're likely to say? Ford gave up. It really wasn't worth bothering the moment with what the world being about to end. He just said, drink up. He added perfectly factually. The world is about to end. 
Arthur gave the rest of the pub another warm smile. The rest of the pub frowned him. A man waved at him to stop smiling at them and mind his own business. This must be Thursday, said Arthur, musing to himself. Thinking low over his beer, uh, I never could get uh, the head of Thursdays. Guys, good expression. To get a hang of something. I never could get the hang of Thursdays. Really popular expression means, well, I could never have a good day on Thursday. To get a hang of something. Alright, so that's the end of the second chapter. We're going to pause here. Come back tomorrow. We're going to read chapter 3 and 4. I hope you are enjoying the book. If you have questions about uh, the words or the whole idea of the book, please let me know. Text me anytime. Uh, just click the description to this podcast. You'll see the links where you can find me. Have a great day. Bye-bye.